nice to, nice to see you all here tonight, uh, both online and in the tent and here in, in the building as well. Um, I'm Brent, the family life pastor here at Birch Ridge Community Church, um, and it's, it's great to, to join you today. Nate asked me to, to present today's message, and we're going to be looking at a, a psalm in the Bible that I think addresses some things that are happening in our world. I know many of you don't turn on the news because you turn it on and it's like you're bombarded by negativity. You hear things that are happening that, are, that we're trying to figure out, even myself, like what am I supposed to think about what's happening? Even today I heard about uh, Seattle and what's happening there with, with people that are uh, rising up against um, the mayor and, and things that are happening there. Uh, so we hear, we hear things about that. We hear, of course, this is on the tail end of COVID and having social isolation and people wearing masks and us not going out of our homes as much. And from that, I heard about China and after they opened their doors back up, the divorce rates went skyrocketing through the roof and lawyers are, are, are overwhelmed there with how many cases that they have to deal with because people have been forced into their homes where they were out before doing things working. And so I even heard a story on a, on a lighter note. I did hear a story about a woman who was, was with her husband in her home. And as a result, she said, you know what? I'm going to give him a gift. So she knit him a scarf. And I got a picture of that scarf here as a gift for uh, her husband. Do we have that picture? No? Okay, okay. So, no picture. Never mind. It was a, fun, it was a funny picture. So, <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. But in the midst of all the riots and the takeovers that, are, that we're hearing about in the news, um, there's this, this sense of conflict and this sense of disunity that I'm hearing. And I'm, I've even heard of it in our very homes. And some of us may have it in our very families where it might be conflict between husband and wife, or mother and daughter, or father and son, or between us as siblings, or some kind of relationship between those. Um, and I thought to myself, you know, these conflicts, the ones that I've gone through, and, and I'm sure you've gone through in your life, they can do only one thing, build anxiety in us. And they can make us afraid, um, and that anxiety seems to me anyway, I don't know about for you, but it seems to sap our strength. And we start feeling dry if it continues. And we start feeling withered. And it can even turn towards bitterness towards people. Today, I just thought, you know, through all the noise of what's going on in our nation and all of the feelings that are happening, the Bible still has something for us to hear. And today, I believe it's going to softly speak as it has for thousands of years. I'd like to read a small, what they call a wisdom psalm, and I believe that you'll find it helpful, maybe for at least, at least some perspective. But if you find yourself in a place where you're in conflict, this may be more than just perspective. It might help you immensely. 
we're going to be looking at a small, tiny psalm called Psalm 133. So you can turn in your Bible if you have it. I think we'll have it up there as well. Um, and this psalm, Jenny stealed some of my thunder, but it's a psalm of David. <laughs> I'll tell you a little bit more about David. But the title is A Song of Ascents of David. And this is what he says thousands of years ago. This is what he wrote. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard. Kids have been waiting for that word. Beard, 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 beard. How many times did I say it? You've got to write it down, right? Running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. So this psalm starts out, you see it says, a song of ascents. And the song of ascents means a song of literally ascending. And many times, if we look at the history of this, of this psalm, the people of Israel would sing this as they ascended the hill called Mount Zion into Jerusalem. And they would sing this as a reminder to themselves of unity. Later, this psalm was likely sung by choirs who would stand on the, on the steps of the sanctuary. So people not only would sing as they go to Jerusalem, then they would get to the sanctuary, the God's holy temple, and they would have these, this choir on the stairs, and they would ascend up each step as this is being sung, and they would ascend into God's holy temple, into his presence. Super powerful, super powerful. And as Genius talked about, um, the author here is David, and he, is, he was the king of Israel, probably the most well-known. And as Jenny said, he was a shepherd boy. She didn't say this. Boys in this room, guys, he killed bears and wolves. And this is before the time of guns. So there's a, he was a pretty tough dude, okay? But not only did he kill bears and wolves, but he also loved to write and sing music and play the harp. So those two, as a man, you don't think really go hand in hand, but they do. They do. Um, David had many children and, and from many wives, and from that, he had much grief from the infighting. It's believed that he wrote this psalm either after he was made king or while he was being made king. All of the tribes of Israel were being joined together during that time. Or he wrote this psalm when his son, Absalom, turned against him and tried to usurp usurp, that means take over, usurp the throne. So either one of those two times, and he writes this psalm. This psalm, if you didn't catch it, in verse 1, is about one thing and one thing only. It's about unity. And the last two verses are similes, kind of like smile, but simile. So I'll explain what a simile is in a little bit. So we're going to start out in verse 1, and I'll, we're going to take it apart and you're going to see more of what unity is all about. In verse 1, he says in, in, in IV, how good and pleasant it is. So this psalm starts out with the words good and pleasant. It's really rare 
to find these together in life or in the Bible, these two words combined. Sometimes things can be good, but they're not pleasant because that choice was really, really hard to make and you have to go through difficulty to make the right choice that's a good choice. Many times, things that are pleasant or choices that are pleasant are not good. They're pleasurable, but they don't bring good. So here David is saying unity is both. It's both good from God and it's pleasant. The Hebrew word for pleasant here um, in the Old Testament is also used throughout the Old Testament for the taste of honey and for the harmony of music. The opposite of, of pleasant would be bitter or bitterness. And so here in this passage, he's saying, David the musician is almost saying, think of a guitar and each string makes a note. And when they're in harmony, it's beautiful. That's the image he's talking about when he talks about unity. And then he continues on, when God's people live together in unity, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. The root word for God's people is actually just family. So you could translate this as when family live together in unity. We know that God's people who are believers are considered family. So this psalm is both. It's about believers, but it's also about our family. I know this is hard to hear when we're starting to talk about family and unity, because, I mean, my, I myself have family members that don't get along, and, it's, and it can be difficult, especially when you're around them, or even thinking about them now, you can start feeling that energy sap from you, <laughs> like, oh, I really don't want to be around fill in the blank, you know, um, and it can leave us dry. This psalm, as we unpack it, is going to help us, though, learn about unity, where it comes from, and why it's so important. At the end of this little, ver this little verse here, he says, when God's people live together in unity, this is kind of fun, kids, if you're, if you're watching here, too. There's a word he uses here in Hebrew, and I'm going to see if you can pronounce it with me, okay? The word for together is yah Chad, but it's not Chad, okay? It's more like Cod, okay? So, and but when you say the K sound, it has to come from down here. That's the hard part. So, social distancing, don't aim at anybody, okay? So, let's try this. It's Yahad. Yahad. Good, good. And see, I just said it twice. And that's the cool thing about this, this verse is he actually uses it two times in a row. He doesn't just say, when God's people live in unity, he says together, which is, what is the word? In unity. He says it again. He says it twice. Because, as my wife pointed out to me as I was studying this, you can be in unity and not together. And you can be together and not in unity. But he's saying it's together in unity. That is what is good and pleasant. I can be far away from somebody and be like, yeah, I'm unified with them. But when you get in the same room, you might not be. Right? So that's what the picture is he's talking about. It has that image of being one. 
Hundreds of years later, Jesus will pray a prayer about this very thing in John 17. You can look it up. At the end of John 17, he prays, God, I want them to be one as we are one. Now for the good stuff. David lays out two similes. We talked about that. A simile is something that is simply compared to something else. So he's going to take the idea of togetherness and unity, and he's going to compare it to two different images to help us understand more about what that means. Before we delve into verse 2, though, I want to ask the ladies here in this room and online and out in the tent, okay, I want to ask you a seemingly random question. What is it about beards and Alaskans? Are beards in style? Guys, I'm, see, guys, I'm not asking you, okay? Ladies, are beards still in style? Like, okay, I got to know, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Right. I didn't know if it's just Alaskans with the amount of beards or if beards are still in style down in the lower, lower 48. I really don't know. Um, so I've got a no. Anybody say yes? Okay. My wife didn't say yes. So. <laughs> so here in this psalm, okay, out of everything that you could write a song about, David decides to write a song about beards. It reminds me of a funny YouTube music. I mean, it really does. It's just the strangest thing. He writes it, and this is what he says. It, okay, he's talking about living together in unity, is like precious oil poured out on the head, running down on the beard. Now, but not running down on any beard, no. Okay, it's not just Brent Kirby's beard or Joe's beard running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. Okay, so I read this, and theologians and commentators are questioning, why in the world would he, would he use the image of a beard? But I think us Alaskans know. It's manly. And he's talking to at least a subset of the people he's talking to are his warriors, his brawlers, men who were strong, who, who fought and killed 10,000s of men. They were all about conflict. But he's telling them, unity is manly. It is a manly thing. And then he goes on, and he names a guy named Aaron. It's not my brother-in-law, Aaron. He doesn't have a beard. So who is this Aaron? And Aaron here is the same Aaron listed in Leviticus 8.12. should be on the screen. He says, it says in, in Leviticus, he, that is Moses, poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Aaron was anointed with oil. It was likely six and a half gallons they poured on him. It's a lot. And the oil was sweet smelling. It was a beautiful fragrance to it. So this thing was coating him. Um, and this oil being poured on Aaron was setting apart Aaron for God's work that God wanted him to do. He was the first high priest in the sanctuary of God. The high priest's job was to go into the, 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 into the sanctuary, into the inner chambers, and make sacrifices for the people, for the nation, and for the individuals who came, and for the families, that was his job, was to do that. In other words, what he was really doing 
was he was going before God on behalf of the people. He was a mediator. Jenny talked about that. The one who goes between two parties, okay, or two people. Aaron was one of the first official mediators that we see. And so when you start to think about that, you realize there's a lot more going on with this imagery than we realize with this oil being poured on the high priest's head and him being chosen as the mediator. To understand this better, we wind back the clock to a man named Job. And Job, he didn't have a mediator. Instead, he suffered terribly. He lost his, his kids to death. His wife, he lost her to a lack of faith. She literally told him, go and curse God and die. And he lost his friend's support claiming that his friend said, you've done a sin, you've done something wrong, that's why all these bad things are happening to you, your house has been knocked down, all your goats and sheep are gone, everything's gone because you're a sinner. They thought he was guilty. And Job responds by talking about God in Job chapter 9, 32 through 35, and he says this. Job says, he is not a mere mortal like me that I might answer him that we might confront each other in court. If only there were someone to mediate, there's the word, between us. Someone to bring us together. Someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. Then I would speak up without fear of him. But as it now stands with me, I cannot. Hundreds and thousands of years ago, Job asked for a mediator and God answered his prayer through giving the high priest Aaron. Israelites would know this when they heard this psalm. They would think of this imagery and they would be so grateful that they have a mediator for them. Fast forward to today. You don't see high priests anymore. You don't see that happening. Today, we have a different high priest. Aaron was simply human. So all he could do was connect with humanity and it was difficult to connect with God. But God had a plan. He said he knew that a true mediator was someone who had needed to be fully human and fully God. And so he sent his son Jesus to this earth to be our mediator. The author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus, God's son, came to mediate not just as a human, made from physical, physical creation, but he came to mediate in a, in a spiritual way. Jesus is the bridge between God and man. What Jesus has done through giving his own life, not just simply a goat or a bull, has mediated on our behalf before God forever. It doesn't have to be done again. Hebrews 9.15 says this, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. From Jesus, we have open opportunity to have freedom from the sin in our life. This is called salvation. In Hebrew, the word salvation means victory. We have victory over sin because God hears his son and forgives us. Let's go back to our psalm. This is the imagery that is like what it means to be together in unity. 
We are blessed because of the anointed one, Jesus, who brings us forgiveness. The oil that ran down Aaron's beard represents more than just a well-oiled beard. It does. The oil is like mediation and forgiveness. Togetherness and unity is about mediation and forgiveness. We're all sinful. The sinfulness of humanity, it, we're all in it. We, too, need a mediator, someone to be our voice when we cannot speak before God and, at times, even before man, man, men. There's been times I've needed somebody like God to say, like, Jesus, please speak on my behalf because I cannot myself. And we, too, need that forgiveness for unity to happen. The second simile is from the dew in verse 3. It says this, It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Like being together in unity, so is the dew of Hermon falling on Mount Zion. Now, let me explain. To understand what he's saying, you don't look at the past like we just did with the high priest. You look at the geography of Israel and how it's set up. Okay? Hermon is a mountain, and it's in the north of Israel. Right now, it's on the edge of Lebanon and Syria, two countries that if you go online, the U.S. travel advisory says, do not go there. There's a lot of conflict. Okay? Um, Mount Hermon is a snow-capped mountain in the area. And I found a little writing of a guy named Henry Tristram from 1857. He was a theologian, and he was camping at the base of the mountain. And he said this. He said, we woke up in the morning, and the dew covered everything. It was the heaviest dew that I've ever seen, saturating the tent sides, the bottom of the tent, our beds, even their guns were covered with it. Mount Hermon has that thick of a dew. This dew then descends down to the dry desert of the land and brings life. The water flows down from the mountain as the snow and the dew collect and goes down and feeds the Sea of Galilee, which runs into the Jordan River and brings life to the entire area. The dew revitalizes the land. Unity revitalizes our soul. When my family's fighting, because we're not perfect, I feel anxious, I feel sad, my emotions get sapped, but when we're in together in unity, there's a peace, there's a refreshing that comes, similar to Mount Hermon, bringing life from its water. Like the dew bringing life, togetherness and unity brings us life. I have this friend from college, haven't heard from him in years from Bible college. He came to Bible college one year. He was a big, strong guy, Canadian, and after college, after one year, he went into the Canadian military. Started to say militia, but it's not a militia, I guess. Okay? Big guy. Every day, he would run down to the gym, which is about three miles to a local gym, run the whole way. He'd bench about 350 by himself without a spotter and run back to the campus. That's what he would do. That's all he would do. Huge guy. 
One day he approached me, and I immediately saw something different in him. It was his eyes. It was almost like, it was, it was like his eyes were glistening, and let me use, use this same analogy that David is. They were glistening like oil on a beard. <laughs> and he was really excited, and he told me that he'd been struggling for so long with feeling dry and withered. He said, I felt like a dry twig, Brent, with no life in it. Then I've been praying. I started praying for God's presence, his Holy Spirit, to fill me anew. And you know what? He has. I feel so revived. It's like I have green leaves. This is a weird symbolism that he said, but I was like, I have green leaves growing in abundance in my life. You see, my friend, for him, unity had to begin between him and God. Our last point is similar to this. To get it, we have to look at the, the picture of the oil and the dew together. What direction are they moving in this psalm? Anybody? Which way? Down. That's right. Thus, we can say unity is directional. It moves downward. David is telling us that unity is something that comes from God down to us. Unity follows the path of authority, moving from the top down. Whether it's a leader in a company or the leader of a family, if that leader and family are united, those under their authority will also likely be united. But there's another direction in this psalm, and this is where we're going to end today. Because unity flows down. But this other direction helps us understand the question that you've been asking too. How do I have this, Brent? This unity? How do I? And there's another direction that tells us the beginning of the journey begins by going the opposite direction, up. Thus we end today where we began. The song, what is it called? Of ascents. As Israelites ascended Mount Zion toward Jerusalem, as they ascended into the sanctuary and into God's presence, unity was poured down upon their family. A blessing like oil on the beard of the mediator, like dew collecting and coming down the mountain to bring life. So the call today for us is no different than the Israelites. If we're feeling stuck and we need help, or we need somebody to speak on our behalf, if we're feeling shriveled in need of a revival, if, if you may feel like you have little left to give, will you ascend into God's presence expecting the blessing of unity? Will you accept his forgiveness that comes from the mediator, Jesus? Will we be unified together and seek that as a church, family, in our own families? We have open, easy access to God because of Jesus, our mediator. We can either forget about that and take it for granted, or we can continue seeking him with all of who we are for the rest of our life. I'm going to wrap up with some more music and... Um, I'm going to pray for us, but as we go into music, 
there's that immediate, immediate opportunity to practice what we're talking about. As we stand, we rise physically, and then we can allow ourselves to move into God's presence right now to practice that as Maggie comes and leads us.